This is a podcast from Minute Media. I still believe through the cold and through the heat, through the rain and through the tears, through the crowds and through the cheers. Oh, I still believe. One of these days, I'll get the actual countdown uh, right on this. We haven't done this in a while. It's been a long time since we've done the podcast here. Um, Matt, who we'll introduce here in a second, we normally just kind of talk the first couple minutes of this. We usually forget to hit the record button, but hey, welcome back to the Dogs of War podcast, number one Browns podcast in the world. Yes, just trust us on that one. Don't look up any of the stats yourselves. You got myself, Kevin. And Raleigh. And I'm going to let Raleigh introduce a very special guest we have here today. So I guess, guys, if you're listening, thanks for sticking with us. We took an incredibly long vacation. So much has happened. Uh, Plus, yeah, for obvious reasons, it's like, well, what the hell do we talk about? Because we don't know what to talk about. And in perfect us fashion, we're going to try to uh, reel it back in by interpreting the law with an attorney. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Matt Timpanic out of Florida, hailing from Boston. Originally, you're from Boston, right? Correct. I'm originally from Plymouth, Massachusetts, outside of Boston. Plymouth, Massachusetts. I only recognize Boston for some reason. Um, but Plymouth, actually, I have heard of Plymouth. Plymouth, Plymouth wow. Rock. The Pilgrims yeah. landed. Yeah, Plymouth Rock. Hello. Oh, yeah, that is yeah. famous. Um, but yeah, he is a Pats fan and he is an attorney. With a fiery passion for what do you call it, sports law? Yeah, sports law. Actually, can you intro yourself? Because I clearly can't put a sentence together. <laughs> it's okay. Well, I was just gonna I was gonna finish that off with Matt. The reason why Raleigh um, Raleigh was introduced to Matt, and Matt is a contributor, writer, legal analyst for conductinstrumental.com. Uh, he is a lawyer, of course, like Raleigh just said, but he's also very fascinated and very um, educated in the intersection of sports and law. Did I say that right? I will let you introduce the rest of your legal background and specifically your history with writing, podcasting about the Deshaun Watson case specifically. So I actually so I've been an attorney so about over five years or so. I started the state attorney's office. I tried we're handling criminal cases. I was a misdemeanor prosecutor, then a felony prosecutor. I tried 39 jury, non-jury cases during my time with the state, ranging from low-level misdemeanors all the way to first-degree felonies and case punishable by life in prison. I also have tried civil cases. Uh, so I'm up to 40 trials. And what I do in now that I have my own firm in Timpanic Law is I handle criminal cases, personal injury cases, and sports law cases. Uh, For Conduct Detrimental, I've been following the Deshaun Watson case for nearly a year, uh, stemming from, I want to say it was August 12th, 2021, where I started really getting on it with the subpoenas being sent out uh, for the actual criminal case. And from there, everything in between, uh, Trevor Bauer's case, Henry Ruggs, any, any kind of criminal case involving a sports star, I have reported on, I have tweeted about it, I have researched it all. So with the Deshaun Watson case, I have been following it extensively from the time it was happening, from the grand jury till his recent trade to the Cleveland Browns. And so Matt is going to help us dumb this down uh, because Raleigh and I are just as confused and lost as most people. Um, and it's good that it's good to hear from a, a neutral perspective too. And Matt has a lot of experience, obviously, in the courtroom, um, writing, potting about sports law, um, and also we're big fans of humble brags here. You dropping it, you, yeah, you have your own firm now. It was fantastic. So awesome job. Uh, before I, I, I before I forget, one of the greatest taglines I've ever heard: uh, "Don't panic." Call Tim Panic, phenomenal, fantastic, and you got the Tim Panic Law shirt on right now. You're doing it right. We're not yeah. even wearing brown stuff. So the whole <laughs> point of this uh, episode, you guys, we have no clue really what's going on 
with what Deshaun Watts can't, excuse me, Deshaun Watson is being accused of, uh, what the NFL is looking at, what the civil courts are looking at, whatever we don't know. And I don't think anybody knows exactly what's going on. If you're following it like a psycho and you're an attorney, you might know what's going on. I think he's getting, uh, there's people on both sides of the spectrum. Somebody barely following this case could think, Oh wow. The Browns hired a murderer on the other side of that. There's people that will think Deshaun Watson didn't do a thing wrong and that he's being completely set up and there really is no middle ground. We're interested in sort of the truth, how we can get there. And we're going to try to be unbiased through this and just get an understanding of the legalities going into all of like there's different levels of courts. It's that blows people's minds. And good point. Uh, so let me just that I want to just uh, go back on real quick disclaimer. We've said this a thousand times before. We are not here to try and convince you guys one way or the other on this. It's a very sensitive topic. We understand that. We, Raleigh Nine, like most Browns fans, we read, consume, digest every little thing written, tweeted, podcasted about our team. So in digesting, trying to digest all this for the last four or five months, you know, we know the decision's coming soon. They finished their thing with Sue Robinson, but how do we get up here? Let's break it down. Let's dumb it down the best we can. So pull up a chair with Raleigh and I because we're going to have Matt uh, walk us through this because he knows what he's talking about and Raleigh and I don't. All right. So... Sweet. We just passed the introduction. I'm actually reading off. We've never done an outline before, but here we are. So a quick timeline recap. Uh, Matt, feel free to jump in if any of this is wrong or you want to add something. So the allegations, they start coming out in 2021. Yeah. Yeah. Right before the season started last year. (laughs) Yeah. Right before the season started last year. Uh, Grand jury does not move forward at the criminal level. I feel like a dumbass. Like, is that what you say? They don't move forward criminally. He's not indicted. Uh, He's not indicted. Thank you. Browns make a trade for Deshaun Watson at a sensible price. LOL. Civil suits back and forth. HBO documentary comes out. Um, It's declared that the civil cases of the civil hearings won't take place for a year, AKA after the 2022 season. There's all kinds of speculation on the suspension. More allegations come out. Watson settles all but four of the cases. NFL leaks that they want to do an indefinite suspension starting at a year minimum, even though it's going to be up to the arbitration. Uh, Sue Robinson, former federal judge, a retired federal judge, uh, where she will listen to the hearing between the NFL, Watson's camp, and the alleged victims. More speculation, Baker gets traded, more leaks. Here we are. Leaks of a less lengthy suspension. I guess here we are. Um, So, Matt, can you give us a basic rundown of what Watson is being accused of? Okay. So so there are two two things that you need to know about Sean Watson. There is his criminal case and the civil allegations against him. So of those... I think it was 24 victims. When there was a indictment in the state of Texas, you need to get a grand jury indictment, which means that you bring people from the community, you tell them the evidence that they have, you have personally, and they decide whether or not it's enough to charge the individual with the crime. The standard to be able to prove that is just probable cause. It's a very low standard. So thus, when they... A grand jury declined to file criminal charges. It was based in part on some of the al- the um, the allegations from the victims in the civil cases. I think there were they only had in the criminal case one of the alleged victims actually testified, but they put forward I think nine of the cases involving the victims. And he was uh, the grand jury declined to file criminal charges on each and every one of those cases. Thus, every single one of those cases that were presented to the grand jury are now cannot be ever charged because a grand jury indictment or a no uh, bill is binding. They cannot turn around and be like, oh, well, I'm going to charge him again for this. Uh, I got new evidence. No, you can't do that. And it's also his civil allegations. A criminal case, his criminal cases and his civil cases are two completely different things and two completely different standards. 
criminal cases require you to prove the case beyond a reasonable doubt, which is the highest standard that exists. A jury needs to believe that there is no question in their mind that this individual did exactly what the prosecution to say he did. Civil cases are different. The standard is preponderance of the evidence. So the greater weight, what think of it like a percentages beyond a reasonable doubt is 90 plus percent. Preponderance of the evidence is 50.1 percent, which is a very simple majority. His civil cases are the ones that are he's going to potentially be suspended for. It sounds like 20 of those cases have been settled, which means that he has reached a monetary uh, agreement that those alleged victims will receive uh, money in exchange for them dismissing their case. However, not all of the cases have been settled. It appears that four of the victims declined their uh, Mr. Watson's settlement offer, and they're going to proceed to trial. That trial is not going to take place until next after next season. So thus, we're probably looking at a June 2023 time period, probably at the earliest for when the civil trials. Remember, civil trials are much less frequent than criminal trials. Why? Because criminal charges involve people potentially going to jail and or prison. Had Deshaun Watson been criminally charged, he was very looking at, very likely looking at sexual assault charges, which carry with it a two-year minimum mandatory sentence in the state of Texas. But those cases have been declined. And unless the feds step in and charge him with something else, or they find new alleged victims that previously were known, he's un- highly unlikely to be criminally charged. However, the civil cases that are going to go forward to trial are the ones that are at issue right now. Those cases, I would guess, are ones that would part of the decision which Susan Sue Robinson is going to decide upon. Remember, in the old collective bargaining agreement, Roger Goodell heard the evidence and he imposed the suspension. When the new CBA was renegotiated, they they uh, the NFLPA decided they wanted that change. So now, any kind of suspension is made by an independent arbitrator. That arbitrator is not part of the NFL is not part of the NFLPA. It is someone that both sides agree is going to be the one to hear the case and impose the suspension. Thus, uh, Deshaun Watson's case is currently in front of Judge Sue Robinson, who has heard from these alleged victims and is going to make a decision based on the evidence she heard. This, like I said, these are not criminal cases. She does not have to apply a criminal standard. The standard she's going to look at is all credible evidence included by a preponderance of the evidence. She could also, if she even really wanted to, not even apply that. She could impose, she could decide that she wants a lower standard or a higher standard. But very likely she's going to go with more of a more probable than not greater weight of the evidence approach to be able to determine this. From there, obviously the case has already been heard by her and now she's getting the briefs and she's going to institute, make her ruling. If she decides Deshaun Watson did not violate the collective bargaining agreement, he will not be suspended, nor can the NFL appeal that ruling to Roger Goodell. Thus, if she said he didn't violate it, that's the end of it. Deshaun Watson won't be suspended. He won't be. uh, Obviously, his civil cases will still work its way through the system, but he won't be suspended. I think that at this point, I think that's unlikely uh, to happen. I think the NFL has made it pretty clear what they are looking for. They want an indefinite suspension. Why? Because they've already suspended Calvin Ridley for a year for betting in Florida when it was legal on his own team for which he wasn't even playing for. They can't turn around and be like, well, we think that all these sexual assault allegations are only worth four to six games. Additionally, the other um, issue is that Alvin Kamara is still also waiting suspension. I think there's a video of him basically pulling a Kareem Hunt and drop kicking somebody or punching. I forget what the allegation when he was at the Pro Bowl in Las Vegas. It seems everybody in the NFL is starting to get arrested in Las Vegas and re-rugs, and it's just endless. So I think that the NFL also doesn't want 
a situation where they're like, uh, we have a video of Alvin Kamara beating the crap out of somebody, breaking their face, and he gets less of a suspension than somebody who with these sexual assault allegations. So well, real quick, uh, thank you for that, by the way. Such a lawyer saying Mr. Watson, by the way. <laughs> so the uh, the people accusing Deshaun Watson, can you give us a brief uh, explanation the difference between sexual assault sexual coercion sexual misconduct because as far as i understand it two of the accusers are accusing him of sexual assault yeah. the other one all of them are including sexual coercion and sexual misconduct uh, the reason i bring it up is the one i don't even know what the latter two are yeah, I have no idea. And it, are, are they under the same umbrella as sec- and I'm not trying to go through this to say, oh, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. But with what he's being accused of, one, I don't know what it is. But two, I don't know what it is. Like, how, how would a a member of a judge, a jury, whoever, an attorney, how are they judging it? Because whatever Deshaun Watson did or didn't do, I feel like there's a lot of misunderstanding of how you evaluate it based off of the evidence like at the civil level do you need physical evidence or could cases be won off of word of mouth or somebody's word against somebody else's in this case there's a lot of people who are making an argument versus to one versus at the criminal level i to get that um beyond reasonable doubt level getting 12 juries to say guilty you have to have some level of physical evidence it there's no way that you would get 12 juries, 12 members of a jury to say, yes, he did something based off of what I'm hearing, in my opinion. But is it different at the civil level? Uh, I guess what I'm going for now, I'm like going in circles. God damn this topic. Uh, does I it I, matter? I think I got what you're. Uh, does it matter what he's being accused of and how are they going to evaluate it? Like, does Sue Robinson look at those and be like, okay, if I was actually in a court of law, here's what I have to do, or here's what the, the, the barriers to be accused of that. Okay. Is it a matter of what he did or didn't do or what there's not enough evidence to prove it, I guess. So the NFL, from my understanding, is not claiming, didn't put any evidence of threat, coercion, force, which definitely plays into it. In the, some of the, I think there were three that I counted, three civil um, cases. Deshaun Watson was to have alleged to force the mouth of the victims onto his penis. And uh, obviously we don't need to get into what he was forcing them to do because that was obviously that sexual assault textbook in and of itself. So I think the basis of the cases that they are actually putting forward are more misconduct uh, allegations saying that uh, he invites these massage therapists to his place uh, under the guise of I'm looking for a massage, like I'm trying to get ready for the season. And then he kind of changes what he's actually looking for and like kind of rolls over and exposes himself to be like, OK, this is what I really want. I think that is what they're actually putting forward. If the um, leaks, if it were, are believed to be true, that they're not alleging threat, force or coercion, because I know from review of the case, that three of the cases involved um, threat, force, or coercion just based on the allegations, and they were actually strikingly similar. I don't know, actually, because we're not privy to that information. They're trying to, um, both sides are leaking favorable ideas, favorable case law, left and right, to try to control the narrative. Why? So that when the ruling does come down, either side can claim a victory. In a criminal case, uh, to be able to convince 12 people in Florida, unless it's a death penalty case or uh, first degree felony um, capital case, you need uh, only six. But most cases, it's 12. And you need to convince all of them that they don't have any reasonable doubt as to whether or not the defendant committed the crime or not. And I think what you saw with Deshaun Watson's case is, you couldn't even convince them that there was probable cause that the these allegations existed. Why? Did they not believe the victims, perhaps? Did the prosecution not put on the best possible case that they could have? 
That's also possible. There was uh, reports that Rusty Harden was able to basically go into Jonah Stallings' office, who was the prosecutor who put forward the case against a lot of text messages, right? Yes. And be like, all right, this is why you shouldn't charge him. I was a prosecutor for over three years and um, criminal defense attorneys routinely tried to call me up. Hey, this is why you shouldn't uh, file this case or you don't have a case or this, that, and the other. I never once even contemplated being like, well, uh, attorney Smith told me uh, that I don't have a case. And well, I guess I trust him. That's not something that actually happens. But with this, Matt, with this case, we are now into the realm of, okay, is he or is he not going to be suspended? And if he is, why is why is he? And if he's not, why not? I think that's the most important thing to remember about this whole case. Um, from the Browns' perspective, I was definitely shocked when the Texans were able to maximize their return. Uh, the thinking being is that with these cases still pending and the NFL seeking an indefinite suspension, they're based. Uh, the the Browns gave the Texans almost exactly top dollar, even though top compensation, even though there was real uncertainty with this case, because if you if the Browns lose them indefinitely, the most likely scenario is it's kind of like maybe like a Josh Gordon situation where he's suspended for a year and then he can apply for reinstatement. That's what the NFL wants Sue Robinson to do, because then it's like, okay, we have um, we can go back to our sponsors and be like, hey, this we are holding these sexual misconduct, assault, whatever you want to call it, allegations as exceptionally serious. We're not throwing this into one of the all right, we this case can't actually be proven. Remember, Ben Roethlisberger's allegations in, involved rape if it were, and case was never, uh, charges were never filed. He was never convicted, but he was nonetheless suspended for six games. Um, I think that was 2010 season. I'm not entirely, I don't, not entirely sure. So I think the NFL probably is like, that's the floor in our opinion from the suspension and go from there. Hang on. You guys have the questions. Um, I wrote the outline. I wrote those for every episode. Um, Raleigh wrote his first outline today, so we just celebrate that. Um, so look, after it came out that he settled a number of those cases, then he went into three or four hearings with the NFL, and then he went or him or the lawyer then went and had the actual hearing with Sue Robertson. What are the difference between those two instances? Him meeting with the NFL for three or four days a few weeks ago, and then them being in front of the judge last week who is in these two scenarios and why are there two different things you know what i mean well definitely one of the things i vividly remember is i think after they de- uh the harris county district uh the harris county grand jury declined criminal charges i think he said something around the realm of i'm gonna fight each and every one of these cases these are baseless we're gonna try all of them and then later he settles 20 of them so it's kind of like, okay, all right, uh, that's not really the same thing, but I understand what you're going at. In the when he sat down with the NFL, that was them trying to get as much facts and circumstances as he can. He is, in essence, the defendant in this case, but this is not a criminal court. Roger Goodell is not a criminal judge. He doesn't have the right to remain silent. He doesn't have that right against self-incrimination. He at, they ask questions. If he doesn't answer him, uh, Roger Goodell is like, oh, well, I, I have everything I need. He won't talk to me. I only get to go on based on the victim's allegations and what our security team and legal department have come up with. So when he sits down and speaks to them, that's them trying to get as much many facts as they can. The hearing with Sue Robinson, the multi-day arbitration, is a hearing where each side gets an opportunity to put on their case. The NFL puts on their case. They're essentially the prosecutors, the plaintiff, if it were, uh, arguing, hey, this is what what uh, we believe Deshaun Watson did. Here are the witnesses, and they present them. Here's what they said, and this is the type of suspension we're looking for. I believe that they ended their case in chief seeking an indefinite suspension. When you seek an indefinite suspension, 
Uh, you you are basically saying this person, we don't even know if this person should play again. Remember, Trevor Bauer had one uh, alleged, well, three alleged victims, but one that was in the, the basis for all of the publicity and whether criminal charges or not would be filed in L.A. County. And he got a two-year suspension, 324 games from Rob Manfred. And he had one accuser. Deshaun Watson has had 24 alleged accusers. The NFL also, in addition to going back to its sponsors, it also can't be like the MLB is taking sexual assault slash domestic violence allegations much more serious than we are. And we can't be like, well, I think it's six games when Trevor Bauer gets two years. And the thinking being is the NFL is like, okay, he gets indefinite. Then he'll probably serve a year plus, maybe some counseling. He does that. And then we'll allow him to apply for reinstatement. But the other side of the coin is Deshaun Watson's people. His attorneys gets to put on their case and be like how he didn't violate the CBA at all that they can't prove uh, the preponderance of the evidence standard and that they didn't prove it. You can't, um, the NFL cannot definitively say he violated the CBA. And as such, if he didn't violate the CBA, he can't be suspended. That's their, that's um, Deshaun Watson's attorney's whole thing. It's if they can convince Sue Robinson, he did not violate the CBA case over with. The, it cannot go anywhere after that. I, I think it's important to bring up, uh, first off, people don't even know what arbitration specifically means, where you have two parties that are they're living under the same house trying to come to a reasonable agreement. Sue Robinson, the retired federal judge, the arbitrator, half of her salary is paid by the players' union. Half of her salary is paid. Play paid by the NFL. You brought this up earlier, and this was news to me that the players' union pushed for a third-party arbitrator, essentially, to help make these decisions. Why wouldn't the NFL? They should have been the ones pushing for that because now, instead of Goodell getting hammered for the the decision that he made one way or the other, it's like, well, you can wash your hands of it, and. When you were talking about the NFL, they want a year suspension. They want a year indefinite, whatever the hell it is, a biggest suspension, for lack of better speaking ability. There's a difference between that and pretending to want it or trying to say, make their public claim because they leak that information saying, hey, we want it to be as long as possible. Now, whatever Sue Robinson says, depending on if it hits their sweet spot, they can say, oh, well, hey, remember when we said this? Well, it's on Sue Robinson, the federal judge. Uh, do you think there's any external factors on Sue Robinson's mindset and what she's as she's going through this? Do you think the NFL, to what degree they're playing games on what they actually want to happen to Watson or to what degree they're just trying to save face in the public image? More simply, can you also talk about the who can appeal what? Because that seems to be a big of argument on like twitter okay and so with arbitration this is an important fact and i'm not even sure both sides fully understand this an arbitrator in in civil cases i've had to deal with arbitrations and what arbitrators will do almost always unless it's so definitively clear what the individual did and that one side is responsible uh, arbitrator is almost always going to give less than what the plaintiff wants, but more than what the defendant is willing to pay. Why? Because if she whacks one side, that arbitrator is not going to get business again from the other side. For example, if she gives, uh, she decides, well, I'm going to give him a two-year suspension. The NFLPA is never going to sign off on Sue Robinson again as an arbitrator in Alvin Kamara's case. Uh, Henry Ruggs, if he ever plays again, which probably is unlikely. But at the same, she has to make a ruling where she can be like the uh, NFLPA is like, well, I think that's fair. Uh, and in the future, we'll have her be our arbitrator. Because if she whacks the NFLPA and Deshaun Watson, 
they're probably never going to sign off on her again. Arbitration itself is the act of it's a trial. It's a trial without a jury. A trier in a jury trial, the trier of fact, meaning the people who decide what evidence is uh, relevant and whether a defendant is guilty or not guilty, is made by a jury. In arbitration, the trier of fact is the judge. It's essentially a non-jury trial. Obviously, it's not in a we're not in a criminal case. We're maybe not even in really a civil case. We're kind of in this CBA created trial land, if it were. And like I said, uh, the NFL gets to put on their facts and witnesses exactly like a trial. And then the defense gets to put on their case. And then uh, Judge Robinson decides who wins. And if um, if the NFL wins, she will impose a sentence, a suspension on Deshaun Watson. Here is my thinking. If she makes it four games, I anticipate the NFL will appeal that ruling and to Roger Goodell, and Roger Goodell would probably impose a stiffer punishment. However, if the um, if Judge Robinson rules in favor of Deshaun Watson and say he did not violate the CBA, that case is done. It cannot be appealed. The only thing that can be appealed are imposition of suspensions, not lack thereof. If there is a zero-game suspension with a no violation, that cannot be appealed by the NFL. However, if an indefinite suspension is imposed, Deshaun Watson can appeal that. And I think what would probably happen is um, probably some kind of settlement like you got an indefinite suspension from the judge. We can impose that, but you're going to sue and we really don't want that. So how about 10 games and you waive all rights to appeal? That's possible. The NFL, if the, the suspension is a light one, like I said, maybe two to four games, they can appeal that to Roger Goodell. The only um, thing that cannot be appealed is a decision by Judge Robinson that Deshaun Watson did not violate the CBA. If she did, think of it like an acquittal, and it's uh, double jeopardy, like he's OJ or something like that or whoever who's acquitted. That He cannot be tried again, nor can it be appealed to anyone. So when he met with the NFL a few weeks ago, that was them asking him a bunch of questions and being like, what happened? We have all this. Here's our, here's our investigation. We need to get more information from you. Then they went in front of Sue last week, the week before, and that's more of like a, a trial setting, right? Now, understanding that this week they were submitting briefs. I think the briefs were submitted today, the, the 12th of July. They just went through this court. What do they, can you dumb that down? What do they mean by submitting briefs? Who's submitting what and what does that do? Briefs is a very fancy legal term for you write some documents that you write some words down on a piece of paper explaining why you should win. And here is your support for it. Do you have case law? Here are the cases that say we are we are correct. Thus, if you're Deshaun Watson, you're going to look to Robert Kraft situation where <laughs> I had our allegations are very similar, but yet. He wasn't um, convicted, nor was he suspended. So that's why he he pled guilty or is that? No, he did not. He there was a motion to suppress and all evidence was thrown out because they did what what was called a sneak and peek warrant, which is pretty much like I'm going to go in and see if I have anything, then decide whether or not I want to get a warrant. And of course, what the leaks have said is that they had him on video getting what the what is alleged to be done, but the video and everything was suppressed because it was unlawfully obtained. Really? That's yes. That's a, cause there's people running with the, the Robert Kraft narrative and I'm that's, it's and, a two completely a different movie. things, but he definitely it's, did it and he should feel bad. Um, allegedly, well, he did, allegedly. he did. Pu- I believe he did publicly send out like a tweet or something like that, or I'm really sorry for what I did. And, everything after it came out, which kind of was a quasi admission. The only problem is a mission being, he basically admitted to what they're saying. The problem was um, they had no evidence. So that admission wouldn't have been admissible. And I'll give you some legal jargon so that uh, some of the listeners can go back to their friends and throw this back at them during a conversation. Uh, when you uh, when all of your evidence is suppressed and all that remains is an admission, 
it, that admission is not admissible because of a theory called corpus delecti, which uh, roughly translates to body of the crime. You, If you have an admission, I killed this person, I got, I received sexual favors from a person at a massage parlor, that is not admissible unless you have other evidence. You need corroboration evidence. Other, Think of it like it's in... Um, Corpus delecti jail, if it were. That admission cannot come out until you have other corroborating evidence. In the Kraft case, all of the corroborating evidence was suppressed. So his basically statement where he apologized can't be admitted because there's no evidence to corroborate it. Hmm. Yeah. Well played. This Kraft. is why people go to law school. Okay, they'll learn this stuff. Real quick question about Sue, what you said, uh, that an arbitrator will always provide a lengthier sentence than what the plaintiff wants and less of a sentence than what the accusers want, um, indicating that there's a self, because they want to get the business moving forward, indicating that there's a degree of self-benefit in the, her decision-making process. Do you think that a retired judge is going to be focusing on that versus the truth, the right or wrong of what's been presented to her. Um, what politics are at play? Here? Like what politics are at play is exactly right. Uh, so when you have a retired federal judge, she is somebody who serves as a senior judge. So she might like fill in here and there, but for the most part, she's done with her legal career, but now she does arbitrations, which usually only take a few hours at a time. If she were, she is supposed to to ignore all the noise. Judges are very, very good at doing that. She is going to do what the evidence actually showed is presented to her. Not what, what people have seen on Twitter, not what people have seen on ESPN about what did or didn't happen or on HBO. She can only go about what is presented in front of her and her common sense. Thus, if the NFL did not put on a strong case she about why Deshaun Watson should not should be suspended. She's going to find for him because the burden is on the NFL to actually prove that he violated the CBA. If that doesn't happen, she she doesn't need to be like, well, I know of this allegation and that victim and all of that. She can only go what's in front of her. And she only has, uh, I think, now four yeah. alleged victims, because I think. The fifth one was dismissed as being un un incredible, incredible, if it were. So she has to come out. All right. So they, they filed their briefs, right? So is that just the both sides kind of summarizing what they just presented in the courtroom to her or precisely? OK. And now when she makes a decision, she has to come out and then defend and explain it in a long manuscript document, correct? Yes. What she will do is she will file what's called an arbitration order. That order will lay out exactly what her ruling is and why her ruling is the way she is. If I were a betting man, I think the over under is six and a half games. The thinking being is that uh, the NFL wants an indefinite suspension. If she imposes an indefinite suspension, the NFL is never going to have her as an arbitrator again. She just lost a lot of potential business. I don't think it's going to be four games because I don't think the precedent and case law that has in the previous cases would say that's if if he is actually found to be in violation of the CBA, that wouldn't really fit based on the precedent set by someone like Ben Roethlisberger. So if I were to guess, I think the floor is six games. The ceiling is maybe 10 games. It could be a lot more. It all depends on what case the NFL presented. What are your thoughts on – sorry, Riley, you can answer. What are your thoughts on – I've heard one theory going around. I'm with you on the six to eight games. Would you be surprised, and is it a possibility she can come out and say, because he did not play at all last year, we're going to count that as time served, plus half this season, plus a $10, $12 million fine, so he gets fined for all of last season's salary too. Is that unheard of? Is that possible? Uh, anything's possible. The problem is in the CBA, it lays out exactly what a suspension is. So a suspension is, is when you are not allowed to play and you do not get paid during that time. 
Deshaun Watson's situation was not a suspension at all. It's, hey, um, we're moving forward as a franchise. We haven't, no team has given us our trade offer yet. You stay away. Uh, we're we're just going to put you, you're just going to be inactive. We're going to pay you our full salary. You can't get paid your full salary and be like, I was suspended. Because, for example, uh, Julian Endelman was suspended a few years back for PEDs. He wasn't paid. Tom Brady was famously suspended in the deflate gate uh, situation. He wasn't paid. All of the people who have been suspended don't get paid. Thus, he Deshaun Watson argument, he's certainly going to argue it because I've definitely seen people try to make the argument that it's already time served, but you can't get paid and be serving a suspension. What if they fine him on top of that, the 10 to 12 million to recoup that from last year? Is that... Even uh, I don't. I don't think I to be able to do a ten million dollar suspension would be unprecedented because I'm pretty sure I think the highest ever imposed was what five hundred thousand a million yeah. for the I think maybe Bond. the Saints or the Patriots yeah. for yeah. the Flake Gate or uh, Bounty Gate or Spy Gate. I think one of those had the highest suspension. <laughs> to be able to do ten million dollars, I don't just don't think that the NFL would open themselves up to a lawsuit like they couldn't imagine. And it would probably be uh, some appellate court would find that in violation of the Eighth Amendment, Jesus. which forbids against cruel and unusual punishments. Well, you're getting at I read that on they're not going to get creative with it outside of suspension is kind of what he's. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, Jesus, you ask him again because it was a good question. <laughs> uh, I got one more question, Max. I know we're coming up on your time here. Um you, you, we talked about it for a brief second when we first started. Um, they suspended Calvin Ridley for an entire season because he got caught gambling on the NFL. Understanding that's – I know it's against the rules, but now a lot of the narrative and people are saying, how do you automatically suspend a guy like that for gambling where it's legal where he was doing it anyway? And then now we're talking about six games or less or nothing for you know alleged sexual misconduct – what what is like what is the NFL's reasoning or defense on that one? Because I feel like that's a tough one to sell when it's gambling for a thousand bucks, whatever it was, automatic season, no questions asked, versus the sexual allegations over here. Well, the problem is is that the when the NFL and the NFLPA discuss potential suspensions in the CBA, they don't create a guideline as to what any case should be actually worth. And it gives Roger Goodell enormous power to basically impose whatever he sees fit. It's like, oh, I reviewed these allegations. I think Zeke Elliott got six games. While Tyreek Hill, who's basically on a recording, confessing to breaking his kid's arm, I think that's what it was, uh, gets no games. And the problem is, is that when the NFL and the NFLPA, what they should have easily done is be like, okay, if the allegations are this, this is the sentence re- recommendation, the suspension guidelines. Thus, if it's a domestic violence and the individual, uh, no criminal charges filed, but we think there's enough that it actually occurred, that's a four to six game guideline. Could be less, could be no more based on exorbitant situations. But with this, whenever they do it, it always just seems like, uh, I'm going to roll a dice and whatever the number comes up, that's the, I roll the five, which means I'm going to do an eight game suspension. I'm going to do a 10 game suspension. Remember Josh Gordon got an indefinite suspension for weed. Mm, like now eight. eight yeah. Numerous that was like, in fairness, that was after his like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like plenty of stepping yeah. stones. Yeah. yeah. But uh, at the same time, it's like, okay. Uh, it wasn't until towards the end that they were like, Hey, uh, how about you go to treatment and then we can reevaluate this? Yeah, and someone like uh, Zeke Elliott's, it's like no criminal charges, six games. Ben Roethlisberger, no criminal charges. Ray six Rice games. is a pretty obs- yeah. That Ray Rice, um, I think NFL teams were looking for a reason never to employ him again because I think that his yards per carry went down the three previous seasons before he cold clocked his. I think now ex-wife. It was all on videos. Like oh, yeah, a, exactly. There was no doubt that he did it. There was an initial two. Yeah, exactly. That was a joke. Yeah. And that was like, you could yeah, not have looked dumber as a league. My question is, uh, what do you call the Sue Robinson, like her report on it, the 30-page? 
it's going to be an arbitration, an order, uh, arbitration order, an arbitration order. If we talked about how the NFL, let's say that they just brought stupid, like didn't put any pedal to the metal on this, whether it was intentional or they screwed up. And it's like, Sue, when she writes this one, will it be public or is that just between the players? It'll be public. That'll be public. So if the NFL, if it's not public, somebody is going, whoever wins is going to leak it to the press. Have you ever heard of judges when writing this? Like, let's say the NFL, they just brought no evidence towards her and she's trying to serve her good name. It's like, well, this is all that was brought to me. And uh, like, are, like, are is she, could she call people out for what was brought or what wasn't brought? Like if somebody's trying to tank one way or yeah, the to other, defend on her her own side, ass, to cover her own ass, to find her. Yeah. I think she, if she doesn't think that the NFL put on enough and that they think that they could have pulled on, put on more, or they essentially tanked the case, she's absolutely going to put that out there. Why? Because judges are still people and they still have friends, colleagues, and people who vouch for them. And if she's like Deshaun Watson, uh, zero game suspension, he didn't violate. A lot of people are going to be like, okay, how did you come to that realization? All right, what is your order? What is your basis for it? And if it just says uh, no violation, end of thing with her name signed, there's going to be a trillion questions about it, and people are going to be – she's going to spend the next two years just explaining her ruling to every friend, family member, and – Pittsburgh Steelers fan, uh, Baltimore Ravens fan, Cincinnati Bengals fans. Like, why isn't Deshaun Watson? Why wasn't he criminal? Why wasn't he suspended? Preferably when we paid him so we could play Jacoby Brissett. Remember, in and as you know, NFL season is now only 17 games. He misses eight games, six to eight games. That's half a season. And if you're three and six, uh, what, four and five, two and seven, your chance, your probability of making the playoffs is astronomically low. Matt, you, know what, you know fans. what fan base you're talking to when you say that? All we know is two and seven. Are you kidding me? Check your privilege, <laughs> Patriots guy. <laughs> like, I um, did. We did have to go through 2020 where we did go seven and nine. Oh, it was our that was our greatest season seven. of all time. <laughs> you got a comment? I know yeah. we had no Tom Brady and. Cam Newton, who didn't really know how to complete a pass, unfortunately. You guys annoyingly bounced back quick. Uh, question, kind of speculate your opinion on this. Cannot speak a goddamn sentence. Forgive me. If you've made it this far and you're still listening, thank you. Do you think that the casual fans following this, what have you, will get satisfaction in Sue's rationale when she – provides her verdict as well as the reasoning behind it. Will it be dumbed down or will you have to be an attorney to understand it? I think that the smartest thing anybody could do, especially if you're a Cleveland Browns fan or if you've been following it closely, read all the information you can. Read uh, Dan Wallach, Dan Lust, part of Conduct Detrimental. I was on they, his, I know Dan. I was on his space. Shout out Dan. Sorry. Yeah. And they break it down, everything that you need to know, because you may not agree with it, but you want to be able to understand how they got to that point. The worst thing people do is when it comes to these types of situations is they're like, oh, that's a ridiculous ruling. Oh, that's a fair ruling. Okay, what do you base that on? What knowledge do you have of this? And the casual person is like, well, he was he's a rapist. He needs to go to he should be in prison, not on a football field. Okay, that's a perfectly valid opinion, but this is not a criminal case. This is just a arbitration as to figure out whether or not he's going to be suspended. I believe that the best thing any one fan could do, especially Cleveland Browns fans, because I think it's likely he is suspended. It would kind of shock me if they find if Judge Robinson found that he did not violate the CBA. So then it becomes what suspension is he looking at? I'm thinking six to eight games is uh, like kind of the range I think she's going to do because I think if that occurs, I think the NFL hit Deshaun Watson could appeal it, but the NFL be like, you can appeal it, but we're going to do an indefinite suspension. Do we really want to go down that road? Or you, you take the six to eight games that whatever is imposed, probably six to eight. I think uh, more likely six than eight. Yeah. Uh, Then it's like, 
we can do this. And then you can come back in week seven or week eight, depending on whether it's a bye week and your team is still pretty much in contention. You could do that and you could fight us and we'll keep the indefinite, or you can take it and get to play later this season. Remember Deshaun Watson, when he negotiated his $230 million fully guaranteed, he took the money in a signing bonus. Why? Because a signing bonus cannot be deducted during the suspension. The Mm -hmm. only thing that can be deducted is his salary. He's only playing the season on the league minimum, uh, veteran minimum, something like 900 or a million dollars, whatever it is. So his game checks he would potentially lose is a few hundred thousand for him when he got, I think, something like a $40, $45 million signing bonus. I annoyingly have to ask this question because I have to because you're here. Um, The four accusers that have not settled, do you think that they are truly pushing for trial or do you think they're pushing for a higher settlement? It depends. I know that's a very lawyer answer to say, but whatever, eventually, if it ever leaks out what the other accusers were paid, it would give us a better idea. If it were a hundred grand per accuser, it's entirely possible that they, some of them might be holding out for more. This is very important because I think this crosses over with the, I don't know if you guys followed the St. Louis Rams lawsuit where they were the NFL, they were suing the NFL over basically the L.A. Rams, knowing that they were going to go to L.A. before they even announced it. Okay, they, okay, yeah, 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 yep. They did a mediation, and they were able to settle it, I think, for $790 million. And St. Louis, had they pushed it forward to trial, could have probably got more. Why? Because the closer a case gets to trial, the more a potential defendant feels like, okay, I'm going to have to sit through the trial, and somebody else decides whether I'm going to pay money or not. And that money could be way more than I am will than I can get away from this case. If he's offering a half million to them now or 250,000, the closer it gets to trial, that's going to be more or it could they could actually be like, "Well, we we he should have been held criminally uh, responsible. We want to go to trial because we know this will be covered by court TV, law and crime, and people will see exactly who Deshaun Watson is. So I think there's real two two schools of thought. Mm-hmm. And I think we'll be- get a better idea within the next six to nine months, whether it's they want more money or they want uh, publicity and for Deshaun Watson to be held liable by somebody, held responsible by somebody. How many, last question I lied, then we'll let you go back to your life. Apologies. There's been a lot of talk about potential settlements, not I'm talking between Deshaun and the NFL and the players union, like on a game settlement, how many, what are there a lot of conversations happening behind the scenes through back channels between Deshaun's lawyers, the NFL PA's lawyers, Sue, like who is whispering to each other behind the scenes? I think that Deshaun Watson's attorneys and the NFL are going to be in constant contact um, until the arbitration ruling comes down. Why? Because if the um, if Deshaun Watson's attorneys don't think they're going to win, now they need to minimize Deshaun Watson's exposure. And the best way mm-hmm. to do that is to cut a deal. They're not going to agree to a one-year suspension. Right. Why? Because they know that even if she imposes an indefinite one or a one-year, that's probably the worst-case scenario what he would actually serve for the case. And if it were appealed to maybe the district court or something like that uh, in federal court, it might actually be stayed for the entire 2022 season. And that's a whole nother year. The NFL has to deal with this case and how, all right, you still haven't resolved this, even though MLB was able to uh, suspend Trevor Bauer pretty relatively easily within six months. So I think that there's a conversation behind the scenes where the NFL, I definitely think they are like, hey, uh, you're going to lose, but we're willing to minimum, we're willing to cut you a deal. You waive all your rights, you waive your right to the arbitration hearing. We'll do six games. And that's probably the lowest you could possibly serve. Mm-hmm. But we're willing to do that so we can handle this and move on. But Deshaun Watson's attorneys, but I don't think that's what the NFL is offering. I think they're probably offering something more in the eight to 10 game right now 
with the hope that it settles at eight games and they don't have the potential for an embarrassment of Sue Robin, Judge Robinson saying he didn't violate the CBA, uh, no suspension, case done with. That's the absolute worst case scenario for the NFL. And it'd be an utter embarrassment that they couldn't convince this independent arbitrator by a preponderance of the evidence, by more probable than not greater weight of the evidence that Deshaun Watson did what we have, what has been alleged and the last year has been pretty much for nothing. Uh, so the waiting game continues. So obviously no one knows anything in terms of when the ruling is going to come out. The briefs were due this week. They were submitted today, allegedly. Um, a lot of people are expecting next week a decision to come out um, to get this out before, obviously, August and training camps come. Um, so we'll sit here and continue to wait and continue to read everything, anything on Twitter and the news because that's all we can do. Um, Raleigh, anything left? Uh, I was just thinking about my cousin Vinny. What? Oh. Um, that's, sorry, that's 80. Yeah, it's a lawyer movie. Kevin yeah. hasn't seen movies. My cousin Vinny's a sick movie uh, about attorneys, sort of. Uh, Matt, can you plug your business? We actually do have listeners in Florida. What part of Florida are you in? I am in Southwest Florida in Sarasota. Uh, Tempanic Law does criminal defense, personal injury, and sports law, and you can follow me on Twitter at Tempanic Law. I'll have everything in the episode description, including uh, where to find his writing, his website, his Twitter. Um, Matt Tempanic, thank you very much again, sir. This is extremely helpful, and a lot of people are going to really appreciate this. Um, and you might be on the hook now for when we have more questions uh, in the future. God, I hope we also don't have any more. Wait, are you sending us a grounds. bill? Like, do we get like a bill for no. like, are you going for an hour now? We're under an hour. We're under an hour. 55 minutes. Hang up. I'm hang doing up. it pro bono. Hang up. We appreciate that. No, Matt, thank you again, sir. Um, Raleigh, hey, for everyone listening, thanks for tuning in the Dogs War podcast. We pray to the high heavens. This will be our last conversation regarding anything sexual assault. Um, that being said, Again, Matt's and panic info in the bio or the bio, the description. That being said, good night, Cleveland. It was 1950 in the cold and rain when my father took me to my very first game. Said the Browns are going to show you how the game is played. Here we go again. Yeah.